0: It's the fourth week of our series on under pressure. I've already had a few people make mention, like, are we going to stop this early? Uh, Because it's kind of heavy duty with some stuff. And it just, we're seeking to go around or look, get after this question of, so what's up when life's looking so down? I mean, what's up when life just is feeling so down and so far in the process uh, we started week number one uh, with in James chapter one, setting a base. James one, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. No, that's upside down thinking. Consider it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, as we talked about, that remaining under ability And here James says, and let that remaining under ability have its work on you so that God can do everything he wants to do in your and my life through that trial. It's not about shooting out of the trial. It's about seeing God through the trial. And we had just our main statement of uh, consider trials with joy, not this floating through the tulips kind of like, let's just think happy thoughts. That's not what we're talking about here. But we consider trials with joy because they are a God thing that's working to produce a staying power in us so that we can be able to get a full transformation package that God intends through it. And uh, what we've been doing there from there is kind of going in this somewhat chronological look at real people. Uh, In the scriptures, because I don't want to just talk about it in theory. We're taking a look at real people who experienced all kinds of trials. We're looking at the various trials, not everyone just that they had a trial, but all of these are unique throughout the whole thing. Each of these is a puzzle piece together to help us shape our thinking, to help us learn to ask the right questions in a trial. For instance, with Noah, here's one of the things that when we're in a trial, we should be asking is this. God, are, are, are you bringing a, a, a lifetime ministry trial into my life? Listen, that doesn't happen very often. But there are times where God brings things into our life that are going to be for a lifetime. And God, are you doing something with that? And, and we learned from Noah that we need to remember that God has a plan. Because if it's for a lifetime, there better be a plan to it. And God does. From Abraham last week, we can walk away and ask the question in every trial. What is this trial revealing about my faith? What is this trial revealing about my faith? Who do I see God as? How do I see God in this? Do I see God in this? What's going on with that? And I must remember that God is able, just like Abraham talked about. God will provide, God is able. That's why it's about faith. Well, today we get to go to one of the most amazing stories. Oh, my the life of Joseph. And we're going to learn that asking the question of, is God preparing and placing me for a future work? Maybe God is allowing this trial to take place because God is actually preparing me and placing me for a future work that I don't even have the foggiest clue that's coming down the road. We need to remember, friends, that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Well, open your Bibles to Genesis 37. Genesis 37, if you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to have some people coming around with Bibles, please get, grab one today, I'm going to be, we are going to be doing a ton of reading today, in fact, do you look at your notes, you see it's like Genesis 39, 40, 41, like 100 chapters on there, I mean, we are like going at it today, why? Because I'm telling you, the the text preaches today. This story preaches, so let's let God's word preach. And I understand as we approach this and in this series, right now you may be at the place where it's, it's kind of like, you know, I understand that God does bring lifetime trials, uh, trials that are lifetimes for some people like he did with Noah, and I can kind of get that. And I can understand that, that God can use trials to test our faith. I can understand that. But, Doug, but, Doug, what about the issue of when I've been wrong? When someone has done evil, wickedness, wrong against me. Doug, what about then? Is God in that? Uh, if so, how can God be in that? What about when someone stabs you in the back, treats you wrong, gives you the raw deal? What's up with that? No, those are great questions. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go and we're going to hear Joseph's story because uh, of anybody, Joseph has some, uh, his life story is a story that will help us get a grip on this. So let's go to Genesis 37, and we're going to start by learning about Joseph's family. And uh, can you say dysfunctional? Uh, uh, listen to Joseph's family. Let's get some background. Joseph, uh, or Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. Joseph being 17 years old. How old is Joseph. He's 17 years old, and he was pasturing the flock with his brothers. And he's out with the brothers, with uh, some of the brothers from the various wives of Jacob. Okay, uh, that's a whole another issue in itself, and dysfunctional. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Getting a picture? Okay, by the way, Joseph is the second youngest of all the brothers. The youngest brother coming back to dad. Daddy, guess what? Hey, listen, I want to tell you, I love this story in part because I'm the youngest of three brothers. And there's so much of this story that I'll just say in that dynamic, I get, and I get with the brothers deal going on. So here's, here's me coming back to mom, mom, guess what Don and Dave did. Okay, I got it. Okay, here we go. Verse three. Now Israel, not the nation, but Jacob, uh, Joseph's father. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than the other of his sons. Oh no, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. What's with that? dysfunctional and he loved uh, uh, joseph more than the other sons because he was the son of his old age and he jo- jacob made joseph a robe of many colors no he's made this special robe that he wears all the time that all the brothers know who daddy loves the most that was his wise one there, Jacob. Verse 4, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated Joseph and could not speak peacefully to him. Now listen, this wasn't the kind of thing where they were all like, you know what, I've wondered over a long time now, does dad really like him more than me? It just, sometimes it just feels like, no, no that's not what it's saying here. It was clear. They could see it. It was just outright in front of them all. Everybody knew without even saying it. Dad loves Joseph more than any of us. Now, not only is that a problem in the relationship with the brothers to Joseph, but that's also a problem in the brothers in relationship with dad, by the way. Verse 5, And Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. <laughs> I laugh at this because here's Joseph, the 17-year-old, the, the, the second youngest coming to his brothers about to say something that I'm like, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. And then I go back and I go, I, I remember doing things like this in, as the younger brother. In one aspect, sometimes innocently, sometimes ignorantly, and sometimes on purpose. Because uh, brothers love to smack talk. And I don't know which one of those is. It was maybe a little bit of all, but here is what he goes. Joseph comes to his brothers, verse 6, and he said to them, Hear this dream, you guys, that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose, and it stood up. And behold, your sheaves? Well, gathered around my sheaf and bowed down to my sheaf. I can see the brothers loving this. Well, verse 8, his brothers said to him, are you indeed uh, to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Oh, Joseph, you are so not helping yourself here. You are so not helping in this relationship. Well, it doesn't stop there, verse 9. Then Joseph dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. Joseph, no! He says, behold, guys, I know you want to know. I've dreamed another dream. And not only did, are you bowing down to me in my previous dream, but guys, get a load of this. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars are bowing down to me. What do you think about that one? Um, verse 10, But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Here's the base. Uh, Dad favors one of the sons resulting in bad blood between the brothers as well as dad himself. Dad makes him a special coat that doesn't help the situation. And then young brother goes around and he's telling his brothers about these dreams of them bowing down to him. We pick up in verse 12 through 17. I'll just sum it up. The brothers take the flock out to pasture. Dad sends Joseph to, quote, see if all is well with the brothers and then report back to me. I don't quite know the intention behind that. But again, I'm kind of like, you know, Dad, you're really not helping the situation. But Dad tells Joseph to do it, 17-year-old, and he does it. He's obeying Dad. He's doing what Dad told him to do. Verse 18, they, the brothers, saw Joseph from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, listen to me. There were times where my brothers, and as I look back, rightly so probably, Times where I was just an annoying younger brother at times. Mom's favorite, but annoying. And in the process of it all, there are times where I look at it and I just go, okay, maybe I deserved, you know, getting a nuggy or getting a wedgie or getting my straightened out by my brothers. But listen, these guys wanted to kill him. Please, let's understand the severity of the hatred. The severity of the jealousy, the severity of the dysfunction of a relationship that's happening here. These guys wanted to kill him because of what they've done to them. Wow. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then, he's, and, uh, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. So they're lying and scheming and we will see what will become of his dreams but when Reuben, the oldest of the brothers, heard it, he rescued him out of their hands. Way to go, older brother. Saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Cast him into the pit in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. And then his thinking is, is that eventually he'll return to dad. Reuben's basically saying, no, 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 let's not kill him. But let's." he probably does need to learn a lesson here. I'm, I'm okay with that part of it. <laughs> Reuben says, verse 23, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, and there was no water. Now, Please, let's try and get this picture in mind. Joseph's just doing what dad asked him to do. brothers are out in the desert area pasturing the animals. Joseph comes, they see him, and they grab him. Now, I'm going to tell you, in brother relationships here, there's all of a sudden in this, I don't know exactly how it took place, but they take him, and they're they wrestling with him, and there's this time, uh, just, uh, I'm imagining, I'm imagining here, that's the reality, but in it where Joseph is like, you know, you hear this talking going on, are they like goofing with me? Is this like, you know, another one of the older brother games, picking on little brother? Is this for real? Is this kind of funny? And then they throw him in a pit, and it's like, okay, this is pretty severe. And Joseph's in a pit, an empty well. And there he is down there, and it's like, what's happening here? I mean, what are you guys doing? What's taking place here? And Joseph has this thing in his mind. He doesn't know quite where this is all going here. He's not sure quite what's all taking place, but he does know this. He's in a pit. And then verse 25, and then the brothers, they sat down to eat Sounds a bit callous, but can you imagine eating? and Listen, I don't know, but could they hear Joseph in the pit while they were eating? And there they are eating their dinner, and Joseph's over there like, Help! Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's just scared. Guys, what's going on? They're just eating dinner. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry down to Egypt. And then Judah, Judah was one of the middle brothers, said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Listen, this isn't just about getting rid of an annoyance now. This is about maybe we could actually profit from this. Verse 27, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Bad choice. 28, then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Imagine that. They're pulling Joseph up. Is Joseph kind of like thinking, okay, the, the game, the the correcting, the disciplining of me is over? Is he wondering what's coming next? And it's kind of like, okay, we can hug and move on. Is What's going on? And then he gets out of the pit, and the, not just the brothers, but there's the Ishmaelites there and they take him. And, and all of a sudden, at what point in time does it all of a sudden pierce Joseph's mind and heart that he knows exactly what's happened? At what point? Does it all of a sudden hit to the core that this 17-year-old young man is all of a sudden being sold out by his brothers forever at that moment as far as he knows it? And can you imagine, I think in the Gladiator movie where he's walking off and Spaniards, you know, in the the other... Others are in the desert and they're walking out, and, and there they are, these slaves all tied up to this thing walking. And Joseph looks back at his brothers. I can't imagine him not screaming out. I mean, if I was a younger brother, I would be like, What are you doing? And he's screaming, and as the brothers get smaller and smaller on the horizon, and he heads on out and he's heading to Egypt, and the rest of his life is over, as far as he's considered right at that moment. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit, apparently Reuben was gone and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy's gone and and I, where shall I go? Kind of self-thinking. Uh, Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood, and they sent the robe of many colors, brought it to their father and said, "Uh, this we have found, Dad. Please identify whether it's your robe or not. Dude, you so know what's going on here. And how cruel. How utterly cruel. You know exactly what's about to happen. And he identified it and said, it's my son. Obviously, a fierce animal has devoured my boy. Can you imagine thinking that? Torn him into pieces, verse 34. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth and loins and mourned his son. Verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. 17-year-old younger brother, abandoned by his family, abused by his brothers, sold out in hatred and jealousy. If I could sum it up, I'd say this. Joseph, one day he obeys dad and he gets sold into slavery. How unfair is that? One day he's just obeying his dad and he gets sold into slavery. While we're on this, I just can't help but to think that there's probably some here that are like, I can relate. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to be abused. I know what it's like to be treated poorly. I know what it's like to be thrown under the bus by family, by a parent, by a sibling, by a spouse, by a friend. Hang in here with me with the story. And frankly, it only gets worse for Joseph. Chapter thirty nine. Chapter thirty nine. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, or had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Now, this is the point in time where we go, you know, as, as, as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, we go, yeah, that's awesome. See, God's right there with him. But listen to me, friends. I'm just, as I read through this, I sit here and I think of Joseph and the standpoint of it. And there's a part of this where it's kind of like, well, why wasn't God there back then? True. I think there's an aspect of that where we think that, well, if God's there then, what's the, do I, didn't he show up back there when the real bad stuff was taking place? Well, let's keep reading. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man, uh, i.e., slave. And he was in the house of Egyptian master, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Pretty cool. But yet, still, I just go, where was God before? Oh, verse 4, so Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him, and uh, he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sakes. The, the blessing of the Lord was on his house and everything, and he, and he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Let's jump down to the next paragraph. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Okay, Joseph is one good-looking young man, okay? He's a stud on the stud factor didn't have a red face like i've got joseph was handsome in form and appearance verse 7 and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on joseph he's a good-looking guy and she says to him hey joseph lie with me but he refused and said to his master's wife by the way there's a whole sermon contained right here behold joseph says because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. One of the first things that Joseph does in this situation, in this temptation, is he counts the cost. He counts the reality of his situation and he thinks about the impact of making that decision upon what God has put around me. Oh, how often we forget about that And let's not fool ourselves that I'm above that, right? Because it's when we start walking down the wrong path, we forget about counting the cost around us. One of the things Joseph does is he counts the cost around him, but he doesn't stop there because he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Hey, this wasn't just about counting the cost and what he might lose relationally, financially. This is about, also about God. Hey, we're going through a study here in small groups, gripped by the greatness of God. And here's the thing. We want to be a people that get more and more gripped by the greatness of God because when we are, it changes how we do everything, including how we think and approach and make decisions in life. You see when God is big life becomes different. And so often your and my problem is is frankly God is not bigger than me in the situation. And I put myself ahead. But Joseph here, I mean friends, you cannot forget. This dude was sold out. This is the time to say who cares about God? verse 10, and as she spoke to Joseph, oh, this is one of the things that's so often forgotten in the story. How often does it say she spoke to Joseph with this? Day after day. Hey friends, this is oftentimes taught like there was a one-time shot and Joseph was like, yeah, way to go, dude. The one time, no, no, no. This was day after day after day after day after day. Come baby, come on hottie, come lie with me. Man, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Day after day after day. And listen to me, let's be straight. We wanna be a straight up people in a right kind of way. And I'm gonna tell you, here's the question. How long would it have been until I caved in? I have no idea. But I'm telling you, I wonder how many times of asking in the situation, I would have said, I deserve a little bit of something. Day after day after day. And he had every right humanly thinking to be able to go i deserve this hmm. and he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her but one day when he had come into the house to do his work none of the men of the house was there and and she caught him by his garment saying Joseph, lie with me. But he left his garment in his hand, ran, fled out, got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that she had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he he has brought, uh, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to to lie with me, liar. And I cried out with a loud voice, and as soon as I heard... Uh, as he heard what I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And then she laid up the garment uh, uh, by her until her master came home and she told him the same story. Listen, <laughs> she's like, this is what happened, lie. And then she gets his cloak and lays it next to him. And it's like, uh-huh, I'm setting it up. As soon, verse 19, as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, and his anger kindled. I would understand that. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Here Joseph stands for holiness. He does what's right before the Lord. And what does he get? He gets thrown into jail. How unfair is that? He obeys his dad, he gets sold as a slave. He stands for righteousness, he gets chucked into jail. Now he's a slave in jail. And I just can't help but to think, there are probably some here who are thinking, I know what it's like to honor Christ and to get punished for it. Well, let's keep reading chapter 40. Actually, let's finish 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his steadfast love, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was a Joseph charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Uh, Okay, he's succeeding, but he's succeeding as a slave in prison. Still seems rather unfair, frankly. Chapter 40, sometime after this, uh, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers and the chief... Cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. And uh, one night they both dreamed, they each had their own dream. Verse 6 When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, Uh, who were with him in custody in the master's house. Why are your faces so downcast today? And they said, well, we had dreams, but there's no one to interpret the dreams. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? I want to tell you, it's a bit of an intriguing statement because uh, at what point in time is Joseph going to give up this God thing? (laughs) I mean, where's it got him? It's got him sold as a slave. (laughs) It's got him sold as a slave, now a slave in jail. Where's this whole God thing getting him? Well, hang on. Uh, Verse 9, So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to them, uh, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were with his cupbearer. He won the dream lottery. I mean, him he had this dream, and it's like, dude, you're going back to be uh, right with, with Pharaoh here. He's like, awesome, but it's cool here. Joseph doesn't stop here. Verse 14, after he interprets the dream, he goes right into, uh, uh, only remember me. When it is well with you, in other words, when, when uh, the lottery comes through, uh, please do me kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. Oh, friends, please understand, Joseph knows exactly what's taking place in his life. But let's see, let's not be the kind of people, it's like, oh, you see, he had the silver spoon. God, God gave him everything that, that, that helped him to be able to handle it like I don't have. In fact, I would remind us as New Testament followers of Jesus Christ that we actually have far more than Joseph had. You see, back in that time, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was not a permanent thing. A person who comes to Christ is indwelled by the Spirit of God. Oh, also, I would remind us of this. Joseph didn't have a Bible. We have the full, complete revelation of God understanding the whole story. Joseph didn't know what's going to be happening down the road here. So this is the kind of thing where here is this guy. He understands the situation. He knows, uh, in fact, look at 15. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. He knew he was ripped off in life. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, in other words, dude, my friend just won the lottery, so mine's got to be good too. Uh, watch this. I also had a dream, and there was three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating out of it in the basket on my head. Joseph, now I know something's really going to good happen to me. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift your head up also, but it'll be on a tree. Can you imagine that moment right there where that guy's like, oh, (laughs) I don't know. I think there's some humor in this sad thing. Um, And the birds will eat your flesh for you. I just, man, that guy's pupils just were going crazy. Verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, what a coincidence, he made a feast for all his servants, lifted up the head chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among the servants, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his position. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Uh, But he hangs the chief baker, just as Joseph interpreted them. Look at the last here, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. What? Are, Are you kidding me? He got him back into his position by helping him out. How could this guy forget? How could he forget Listen, in this situation now, here he is. He's helping his friends and he gets forgotten. I mean, just look at the list. He obeys his dad, gets sold into slavery. He stands for holiness, gets thrown into jail. He helps a friend and is forgotten. And by the way, with this one as well, I just cannot go on without imagining there's some people here who are sitting there and are going, I know what it's like to help someone. I know what it's like to try and minister to someone and be forgotten. I understand that. I've been there. For 13 years, Joseph's life has been a series of tragedies. How can any good come out of it? Where is God in it? What's God up to, if anything? Joseph's story so far is really about a guy who's thrown under the bus by everybody. Well, Let's look at chapter 41, verse 1. After two whole years, how many years? Two whole years in the pit. Two whole years of being forgotten. After two whole years, Pharaoh had a dream. Jump down to verse 5. And then Pharaoh fell back asleep and he dreamed a second time. Go to verse 8. So in the morning, Pharaoh's spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but, uh, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. From the chief... Uh, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation, and a young Hebrew was there, a servant of the captain of the guard. Dude, it was two years ago, and you forgot? Uh, When he told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation, and And then verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. I think some of your translations say dungeon. Listen, this was no halfway house. This was a pit. Joseph is in jail in a dungeon, and when he had shaved himself, changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, and he said, Yeah, as a matter of fact, I can interpret dreams, and I've been ripped off now for like 22 years, and I am stinking fed up with it. And now it's my time to get what I deserve. Why do I say that? I say that because I wonder if that's what I would have been thinking look at Joseph. Amazing. Joseph answered Pharaoh after being pulled out of the pit. It is not in me, but God, Elohim, will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. The word for favorable is shalom. God will give him a shalom answer. Verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, Joseph, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, and when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had been or that they had eaten. For they were still as ugly at the beginning. And then I awoke. And then I also had in a dream seven years growing uh, one. On one stalk, fallen good, seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind, uh, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I, I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh one more time a God view in it. Oh. Uh, what he is about to do. The the seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that come up uh, after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is also... Uh, It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty through the land, and then there's going to be seven years of famine, uh, verse 32. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh, means that the thing is fixed by God. God will shortly bring about. That was the interpretation of the dream. Once again, Joseph doesn't stop there, but now he gives some counsel. Love this guy. Verse 33, now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. I have a suggestion. Um, uh, Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers of the land, take one-fifth of the produce of the land, and let them gather all the food together and keep it together so that they may not perish through the famine. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be the overseer of my house. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king. Wow. Here Pharaoh is placed, or Joseph is placed by God to do a great big work for God. He's placed by God to do a big work for God. (laughs) Okay, that's cool. But the whole thing seems very unnecessary. The whole thing seems very unfair. I mean, couldn't God put Joseph there in a different way? I mean, he was just obeying his dad. I mean, he was just doing what was right. He was just helping friends. Why all of this? Please let us understand. What's going on? Could God have done it a different way? Yes, he could have. But listen to me. God is sovereign. When am I going to give up my pride and selfishness and wanting to take the steering wheel from God? When am I? When are we? Going to be the kind of people who struggle with the reality of wanting to grab the steering wheel, of wanting to shove God off the seat. Listen, I know what I'm talking about here in the reality of life. I know in my life, I know in working with other people's life, we struggle with this. We want to push God over. I want to take the steering wheel. I want things to happen the way I want them to happen, the way they should. <laughs> but that's not our seat. We are sin-cursed humans, and we want to define what is fair, and we want to define what is not fair, and that's God's job. We as sin-cursed humans, saved by grace by a great big God and becoming His children, think that the children want to have the Father do the children's bidding. I do. I struggle with it, and I know you do too. But here's the thing, he's the father, he's God, he's not my buddy, he's not my boyfriend, he's God, and God is sovereign over all things. And we forget 2 Timothy three twelve: indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Why am I, why are we surprised when persecution comes in our life? Why? We should expect it. It's part of the plan. Anyone who's a Christ follower, that's part of it. Uh, I think of Paul's statement in Philippians 3.10. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul wanted to know what it's like to suffer for Christ. And we forget that the scriptures say, God's ways are not my ways. When am I going to give up the steering wheel and let God be the one who's in charge? Oh, no, it's a struggle, isn't it? So what do we do when life's not fair, when we're thrown under the bus? Well, I just want to conclude in the last few minutes here by going to chapter 45 and then chapter 50. Let's hear from the one that knew what abandonment was. Let's hear from the one who knew and experienced the abuse, who knew and experienced being forgotten. What does this Yahweh follower have to say? Genesis 45, verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, the first meeting of the brothers back again. Let me remind us, he's 39 years old now. He's been nine years as prime minister of Egypt, 22 years since his brothers sold him out. And he's standing before them. and He says, come near to me, please. And they came near to him and he like cut their heads off. I would have been thinking it probably. And they came near and he said, listen to this. Listen, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. He does not back down on the sin that they did. He knows that they were wrong. He knows the situation, but look at this. Verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Whoa. Whoa. But, Doug, I'm having a hard time resolving this God and sinful people, sinful choices thing. Good. It's a tension that it should be there. And let me remind us, when we stand before God one day and say, God, what was the deal with that? I guarantee we walk away from that discussion fully understand that God was perfectly holy, righteous, and purposed in a perfect kind of way. And we will never walk away from that discussion going, you ripped me but a sovereign God. Look, as he says, verse six, for the famine has been in the land for two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Verse seven, and God sent me here before you to preserve you as a remnant on earth, to prepare and to place me, and to keep alive for you many survivors. Look at verse eight, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. Are you kidding me? This is one of the most blow my brains out, upside down thinking realities I can ever come across in scripture. The sovereignty of God is, I think, one of the hardest things for you and I to get a hold of. And what we need to get a hold of it is, is this fact. God is sovereign and I'm good with that. And now I proceed in faith with the fact that God is sovereign, even though I fully can't explain it or get my hands around it. By faith, he is sovereign and will work it all out. And here Joseph makes the comment, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God got me here. Well, maybe he was just having a really good day, positive attitude day. Let's go to chapter 50. Chapter 50, because here he acknowledges a sovereign God is in it all. Here in chapter 50, again, he acknowledges that a sovereign God is in it all. This is about two years later, by the way. But Joseph said to them, his brothers, again, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Oh, underline that one. Am I in the place of God? That's what I'm talking about. God, I want the steering wheel. Get off my seat. I know what's going better than you. God, I'm going to push you over. That's really what we end up doing. I'm nudging God off the seat, placing myself there to be able to make the decisions and the directions on what should be done because I know better, because that wasn't fair, because I don't deserve that. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20: As for you, you meant evil against me. He knows they meant evil against him. But look at this: But God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Are you? Have you been in a trial of life where others just meant someone else, others meant outright evil against you, or mean maybe not even direct evil against you, but because of the situation, evil has been done to you? How are you handling it? Do you know that God is big enough, sovereign enough, to ultimately use it for His glory and for your good? Listen, when wrong, there everything in us cries out to get back. Everything in me cries out to make the tables even, to make the wicked pay, to see that they get what they deserve. Listen, but that is God's job. That seat is filled. Your, my, your and my job is to see a big, sovereign God in and through it. Do I, do you believe that God has a plan, that God is able and that God is sovereign? Friends, I just want to say in trials, you have to bring these things in. Can I trust him even when life doesn't seem fair? Am I going to do what's right even when I'm wronged? When I was in high school, my family moved four times. I went to four high schools, four different states. I wondered many a time, where was God in this? I did nothing to ask for this. I had nothing to say about the decision for this. And I didn't always handle it very well. It didn't seem fair. It didn't seem right. But I will tell you now, in my little trial of that example, I will tell you now that God clearly, clearly with me not knowing it at the time was using it to grow me and to prepare and place me for future work. God is sovereign. Cling to that. God, I thank you for our time in the word. I thank you for your sovereignty. And Lord, I acknowledge This is truly one of the hardest, hardest things for us to grasp, for us to get a hold of, for us to be able to be the kind of people that literally trust in your sovereignty. Oh God, we want want to lash out. We want to jump out. Oh Lord, all of us do. We all get this. Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of people that ask the right question. Where is the sovereignty of God in this situation? And how can I respond to honor a sovereign God even when I'm wronged? Help us. In your name we pray, amen.